0: And probably one of the most common characteristics of investors I know who have weathered recession after recession is they were very careful. And a lot of them had several or a portion of the portfolio paid off. So I don't like this focus on just pulling every dollar out of every property you possibly can. When, especially when you contrast that with there are so many ways to scale your income. It, within real estate with other businesses but even just within real estate it's very much exponential the same principles i'm applying to really both the investing and the land business are applicable to multi-million dollar commercial properties
1: what's going on guys this is the passive wealth strategy show the show that will help you escape the wall street casino and build wealth on main street by investing in real estate today our guest is dan haberkost and today we're talking about new real estate development land investing and building passive income while building your active income and using that active income to fuel your passive income and passive investments that's what dan does he's a real estate phenom he's really focusing on a niche aspect of real estate development and using that to build his passive income really smart guy a lot of great knowledge here and if you'd like to learn more about real estate development building new properties and specifically we're digging into markets just outside of denver In Colorado, There's a lot of great information in this one, and it's a great conversation. Dan's very knowledgeable, and he's very uh, open and forward with that information in the interview today. So I really appreciate that, and you're going to learn a lot. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwith.com taylor.com fill out the form and schedule a call with me i will look forward to speaking with you then if you're an apple podcast user and you enjoy the show please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on apple podcast five stars if you don't mind guys and i appreciate that so so much that helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the apple podcast ecosystem people see your reviews and they think hey this person learned something from this show i should tune in and you know what you guys i see those reviews too And I see that you're learning from something from the show. And that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that it's having an impact on you you, and that we're helping you escape the Wall Street casino. No matter what podcast app you use, if you do enjoy the show, do look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Dan Habercost. Without any further ado, here we go. Dan, thank you for joining us today. Share a bit with your audience. I'm looking forward to learning about what you have to say and and your experience and all of that. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about your background and how you you invest in the real estate market?
0: Sure. So I live in Colorado Springs and originally from Ohio. And as of today, I have the active business, which is Front Range Land. And really, I think the easiest way to describe that is if you think of a wholesaling business that's centered around marketing to get off-market deals of houses or apartments my business gets off-market deals at 30 to 50 cents on the dollar for land. And then what we do with that land ranges between building houses on it, simply closing on it and flipping on it, or selling it on a note. So that's the active business and it's really just an assembly line of leads bringing me land at a huge discount. And then that active business feeds the passive business which is simply investing in rentals which are all residential up to this point and the two are very very synergistic because the passive business obviously reduces the tax burden on the active, and then the active feeds the passive as far as just having capital for it, because real estate investing is a cash-intensive venture. Uh, now, that sounds very well thought out in hindsight, but it's not <laughs> it was not that thought out as I have been building it over the years, so we can talk about that. But yeah, I bought my first rental property when I was 21 college, and it's grown from there slowly and
1: steadily. That's great. That's great. I think a lot of our listeners, even who are busy professionals can, can relate to that, right? Because they've got their job that provides active income, and they may be looking to build passive income on the side through rentals or, or other strategies. And you quick, I wanted to dive into the land side of the business, because especially right now, uh, properties and, and that are already existing are ridiculously expensive, right? And many people, myself included, have been thinking, hey, maybe I'll buy some land and, and build something on it. And that will be you know, my method for buying a new primary residence or getting a rental going or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can you tell us about the you know changes in the land market that you've seen, especially mm-hmm. throughout COVID?
0: Yeah. So there's a lot there. I'm trying to bookmark each point I want to make. Let's take a step <laughs> back on a high level and look at the big picture. And as far as land goes, I, I want to make a distinction of what I'm working with versus what a lot of people are. I have focused almost entirely on infill lots. And what I mean by that, take one of the primary markets I'm building in Pueblo West. Uh, In the 70s, the same developer that did Lake Havasu in Arizona, for anyone who's familiar with that, followed the Army Corps of Engineers to where they were damming up the Colorado River and creating reservoirs. And he was buying huge tracks around it and subdividing. So he took the thousands of acres that were there around the reservoir, he did all the work that was involved in. Uh, platting it, bringing in utilities, you know, getting it to the point where you have you know that pretty zoning picture with the different zoning and the roads or excuse me the all the lines and so on and so forth. He did all of that upfront work, leaving you with twenty thousand or twenty some thousand infill lots, shovel ready, right? Entitlements are done, utilities are there. You don't have to do anything further to the land in order to develop it. So that is the type of land I've been working with, which makes the whole process substantially easier. Another way that some people approach land is they go after raw land where none of that has been done. And if you want to build on it at you know minimum, you're going to have to do a well and a septic or potentially extend utility lines. At most, you might have to do quite a bit more as far as dealing with the city and getting different approvals and zoning. There's there's a lot that goes into it. I'm not going to have a detailed discussion on it. But I think it's important to be clear that I've been working with the infill lots because there's there's millions of dollars that have already been invested in the land, making it very easy. So to answer your question, I really wouldn't recommend anyone pursues building something unless they really want to make a business out of it. Because doing the first one is the hardest part. (laughs) Granted, if if we're talking about just the passion project of building your dream home for you and your family, sure, go go ahead, figure it out, build a house. But if not, if we're talking about building rentals, getting the right contractor, learning the process, putting the pieces and parts in place to do it is the hardest part. And then once it's set up, building simple houses is fairly passive if you've set it up properly and you're dealing with infill lots. So that was a lot there, but I I wanted to make that distinction because a lot of people don't understand the difference between raw land and a piece of land that's developed and it's just an infill lot.
1: Well, I certainly appreciate you drawing that distinction and and really as a general comment, any aspect of real estate investing, at least that I've found, always has a niche within a niche within a niche, right? And you're really niching down into your aspect. So can you tell us about your specific strategy when it comes to uh, investing in in Phil lots?
0: Yeah, so got the marketing machine set up that I talked about. I started with mail, but I know people that have been successful texting. Or cold calling. So I don't think with marketing in general, it's that one strategy is the best. I think it's consistency over a long periods of time with a single strategy or a couple strategies. So important caveat there. So
1: also comment on that. The the calls and the texts are really freaking annoying. So <laughs> yeah. the mail is much appreciated. I'll, I'll I'll take mail any day. Please continue.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've been getting a lot of calls lately, specifically from a wholesaler's employee who I know they don't they haven't taken me off the stupid list. But, anyways, so once you have that set up, I've got a couple markets I've targeted here in Colorado that are in the path of progress, and because I want to build, it's really important that you understand where the market is as far as you know. Is it like Denver, where it's a mature market that's largely built out, and and more people are just doing scrapes where they're knocking down old buildings, or is it somewhere? In Colorado, it's really just the path of progress goes right down the front range, down to I-25. This is it somewhere way, way down south where just nothing's going on. I don't want to be in either of those markets. I want to be somewhere in the middle where the market is starting to get built out, but it's not a mature market like Denver. So that's really, really important. All the markets I'm in, they're all secondary or, or tertiary markets of the major metros that have grown. So for example, here in Colorado Springs, as we were talking about last five years, it's really blown up here. The market has matured. A lot of people have moved, businesses have moved, and it's gotten very, very expensive. So people are getting pushed out to some of the markets further down I-25. And that's where I'm building. So those markets were very sleepy four, five, six years ago. Now they're starting to get built out. So they're prime for development. So when I get all these leads for lots at a discount, I have many exit strategies because it's growing. I could build on it myself, or I could Sell it to one of the other developers I know. And a lot of developers or builders don't know anything about investing. So they buy lots at 90, 95 cents on the dollar. They have no wow. idea how to buy at a discount. Yeah, it's really crazy. Or I could close on it, list it on the market, and get that mom or just end user who's buying a lot for themselves to build on. So knowing where your market is at is really, really important. If I tried to do this here in Colorado Springs, it's feasible. But my cost per per lead would be astronomical. There's just so much competition up here because it's a far more mature market. And there just isn't a lot of infill lots left. You'd really have to go out east, way out east towards the airport. So timing is important. So I have a build that'll close here, hopefully this week, maybe next week. And that market is even further down south, about an hour and a half from Colorado Springs. And three years ago, when I started down there, all I was doing was buying and selling lots. Nobody was building, but there, there was a little bit of activity on the land. So it was very easy to buy at 10 or 20 cents on the dollar, but a little harder to sell. Now, or let's rewind about a year ago, I got a lead down there and I was driving through, and all of a sudden there were just foundations popping up. <laughs> a few dozen foundations, and there's a couple builders down there. And so, you know, of course I called them up, chatted with them, and they're all pre-sold, every single one of them wow. pre-sold. I go, wow, there's demand down here because it's gotten so expensive up north and so I started building there last year and I' consistently building there because the timing made sense right I stopped just buying and selling land it's a lot harder to get a discount there than it was two years ago but now I can build and there's a substantial margin so you have to understand where the market's at and in your market where the path of progress is so it's very simple here in Colorado we have mountains in the way on <laughs> the west side right so the main artery the main highway i-25, And then out east, it's very rural. So sure, the cities expand out east, but they tend to go straight down I-25, straight down the highway. Another example, a buddy of mine's in Texas, and he was trying to figure out where to look for his land business. And I said, well, just looking at the map, I don't know Texas, but the major highways between the big cities, like I think Austin and Dallas, or, you know, that sort of thing. So Kind of looking ahead and understanding where your market is and and how it's growing or where it's growing will help you determine where this sort of business makes sense because again if i try and go to los angeles and mail for infill lots it's not going to work very well right mm-hmm. so where the market's at in in being built out is important
1: nice nice well yeah i can imagine the going along the the mountains i mean if i was going to move to colorado or want to be in colorado I want to be able to see some mountains. I don't want to be all yeah. the way out east in the, in the plains, you know, but that's just me. Yeah, no.
0: And that's most people. So
1: yeah. 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 Being part of Colorado. So learning how to, you know, develop property is a whole other subset or, or mm-hmm. knowledge category that you had to build to get involved with that part of the process. So how did you take those steps to start getting involved there?
0: Yeah. So that goes back to when I first moved here at the local real estate group that I actually host now. I didn't at the time. There was a guy who stood up at the end of one of the meetings and goes, "I've been in real estate for forty years. You know, I've built all over the world and storage units, commercial buildings, single family, everything you can imagine." He goes, "I I need help in my business, and in return, I'm happy to you know teach someone who wants to learn." And of course, everyone gathered around him, and everyone got his number, and only two people called him, myself (laughs) and another. And he lived about an hour south, but it was very clear to me he knew what I wanted to know. So I went down there. Every weekend, we worked together, kind of learned from him. You know, we developed just a friendship over time. And he's the one who really taught me about building houses or building anything, really, because it's, it's, it's quite simple once you know how to do it. I remember he told me that building single family homes is child's play. And I, at the time, that was so intimidating to me. But in hindsight, he's absolutely right. It's very, very simple. Now, for anyone who's new That was a bit of learning from a fire hose because he had so much experience and was showing me so many different strategies and moves in different markets all over the country. It was a bit much. And I got a little bit of shiny object syndrome, but he is originally and and really who had taught me how to to build build houses. And more than anything, the key to doing it is finding the right people, finding the right contractor who, once the build is in process, just takes it and runs with it. So he set this up properly just for building simple specs. I don't do anything past having bought the land, got the plans and engineering done. Builder gets the permit. He—I don't have no idea who the subs are. He builds it out. I just finance it. So if you do this right, it can be fairly passive. Um, and again, just the the major macro trends right now make a lot of sense for new development. I think I read we're five over five million residential units short in the country, and then specifically living somewhere where a lot of people are moving. And where there's a lot of vacant land that's already been subdivided and utilities are there, it, it just works. It just works. So.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, it's no magical equation. There's no magical reason why the cost of real estate goes up in a lot of cities that have massive amounts of people moving there. It's a shortage of real estate, or developed real estate, and significantly mm-hmm. more demand and that forces prices upward. That's just how how supply and demand works now. How do you you mentioned the people? People are always mm-hmm. super important. So I certainly appreciate that note. How do you do that vetting, especially of a of a contractor mm-hmm. up front to know that, hey, this guy's not going to walk away from a half-built foundation and you know just mm-hmm. leave me with a pile of sticks on the ground or something like that? How do you do that up front so you don't, you know, find it out the hard way on the back end?
0: Yeah. And I have had some bad experiences with contractors who did not work out, thankfully worked through those. But in hindsight, I, I would say there's a couple of things. Number one, I want them to be referred by someone I know and trust. That's number one, but that's only only part of it. Number two, I want to see, you know, someone refers them and says, oh yeah, they were great a few years ago. That's not enough. It needs to, I want to see projects they're doing right now that are moving smoothly and whoever they're doing them for is happy about it. And then just looking online too, in the modern age, do they have negative reviews or their their problems online that you're finding, that helps a lot too. But if you can see them successfully building, if you have good referrals from people you trust, and then the last thing, and this goes to screening tenants or hiring employees, anything, just the little things when you're getting to know the person, do they do the things they tell you they're going to do when they said they're going to do them? That is so important. You know, So one of the first things I'll always do is I'll send them the plan. I'll send them the breakdown of costs I'm currently using. I'll say, oh, okay, Taylor, uh, is this feasible you know what does your cost breakdown look like and if they tell me they're going to have it to me monday morning and they don't right there that is a huge red flag unless something dramatic happened just little things like that really 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 mean a lot just from experience i've found that if someone's word does not mean much to them or their commitments don't mean much to them they're going to be problematic when you go to do business with them so those three things i think if you can see them successfully building projects Good reviews from from people you know and trust, and whoever is doing the projects with them currently, and then they're reliable and do what they say they're going to do. In the upfront part of getting to know them, I, that's a fairly good sign, right there.
1: Nice, nice. I appreciate that. And that those filters are going to probably weed out ninety nine out of a hundred of the you know bad guys. Maybe once of the bad guys. Yeah. 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 Nice. Okay. Cool. I'd also like to dig into this topic of how you're combining your active income with your passive income, because, you know, we've talked about the land and the development. Some of our listeners may relate to that, may be interested in that, but I think the thing they're going to be most interested in is how you know, this, this system that you came around to combining your active and passive income. So let's dig into that and and how you think about that.
0: Well, I bought my first rental, as I was saying, when I was 21 and I didn't at the time, I just worked a normal job, right? I didn't have a substantial income. I made 50 K plus some, some bonuses at the time. And it became clear to me really quickly. That was in Ohio, moved to Colorado, bought another house hack out here. So I had had two properties at the time and with all the things that can go wrong with vacancy and you know, roofs, sewers, et cetera, and just the down payments, it was clear to me, hey, I need to figure out how to scale my income in order to scale a rental portfolio. That was very clear very quickly. And so it's not necessarily that they're combined. It's just that they're synergistic because when you have you know, a business over here spitting off a substantial amount of extra cash every month, it's a lot easier to capitalize when deals do come up. And then at the same time, the investing over here shelters the active income so you don't have to pay a substantial amount of taxes or if you do it if you really plan you can pay no taxes legally for a long long time so that's what i mean by them being synergistic there is the passive income via notes from the land business but i see those more they're just an annuity they do run out right it's not an appreciating asset although those are nice those are very nice
1: but you did have to do the work to get those in the first place they still fall under that heading of, of active income, kind of as you've mm-hmm. you've, you've alluded to here. Now, sure. there's a, obviously, I think clearly, a lot of planning that goes into this, right? Because to in order to invest, you have to have money left over. And I think you also make a great point that maybe we don't talk about enough mm-hmm. is that it's easier to have more to invest if you just really focus on earning more money in the first place. Yes. <laughs> that helps a lot. Yes.
0: yes, I'm glad you said that because something I hear... That drives me nuts over and over again on podcasts. It's just this leverage, 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 leverage. And sure, if the last couple of years is what the rest of the forever is going to look like, then great, that would make sense. But the paradigm we're currently in is not going to last forever. And probably one of the most common characteristics of investors I know who have weathered recession after recession is they were very careful, and a lot of them had several or a portion of the portfolio paid off. So I don't like this focus on just pulling every dollar out of every property you possibly can, when, especially when you contrast that with there are so many ways to scale your income it, within real estate, with other businesses, but even just within real estate, it's very much exponential. The same principles I'm applying to really both the investing and the land business. Are applicable to multi-million-dollar commercial properties. I'm watching friends of mine do it right now. One of my buddies is going to make a quarter-million-dollar assignment fee next week on nice. assigning a commercial property, and that's that's what I love about real estate is it's exponential, right? You don't have to make 100k and then make 120. It's okay. I made 100. Now how to go make a million? That's very reasonable if you're very intentional about what you're doing. So to your original point, yes, I. I haven't touched any of the equity in any of my properties. I don't want to. I can go and make millions of dollars as opposed to leveraging up to my eyeballs. And then if I have a, a far less leveraged portfolio, I'll sleep better at night.
1: <laughs> nice. Well, that yeah. leads to a, a point that I wanted to bring up, especially you know in your business where you're you're doing new developments, is there's this idea that at the end of every real estate market cycle, the developers are the ones left holding the bag to really lose their money and lose their shirts we saw that in the great recession to a, mm-hmm. an extreme degree do you kind of think that way and, and how do you prepare for that i mean you, you kind of let us into your thoughts regarding leverage but you know more mm-hmm. generally how do you think about getting ready for market downturns because it'll happen eventually we don't yes. know when but it will
0: yes i like that question and i think a lot about this because really i think success in the long term is more about moderate gains while mitigating total loss, totally, uh, yeah. especially if you think of the way an ex- exponential curve progresses as long as it doesn't zero out. But to answer your question, there's a couple thoughts there. Number one, the product I'm building is a simple three-bed, two-bath, 1,500-square-foot house. I, I almost see it as a commodity because it appeals to the two major demographics right now for home buying first-time millennial homebuyers, the millennials that were allegedly never going to buy houses like <laughs> you and me, are buying houses. And then especially here uh, in my market, because it's close to some of the military bases like Fort Carson, where it's just tons and tons of young millennials, first-time homebuyers. And then it also appeals to the downsizing baby boomer, the empty nester who doesn't need the five beds anymore, the 3,000 square foot house, because all their kids are gone. They want something simple, affordable. And So, that demographic right now, there is such a lack of product for them. I really have a hard time imagining any way that it would go, the demand would go away completely, or that the price would drop so much that I couldn't at least get rid of it. So, as a corollary, another reason this works, because I have the land business set up, my basis is really low. I'm buying the land cheaply. Every aspect of this is I'm doing, I'm paying less than most everyone else. So, if my total basis on a house, is right around 240 for a 380 sales price. And then of course, you know you got to take out the realtor fees and the closing costs, but those don't become too fruition until you sell. That gives me a lot of wiggle room of something or I feel that I'm mitigating risk, right? Building a simple entry-level product, I'm not building a, a mansion. And then there's just a massive spread allowing for
1: more margin of error. I want to recap really what you're saying is that yeah. I lost you right after uh, you mentioned if you have a 240 cost basis in a property mm-hmm. and you think you can exit in a normal market for 380 minus mm-hmm. realtor fees, minus closing costs and all of that, can you just pick us up from there and then we'll, we'll move forward? I, I don't want to lose any of this uh, information.
0: Yeah, very simply, if we see the market tanking, there's a huge reduction in price we can we can take there to just offload it and get our cash out. That's the point, right? Just with anything, the lower you buy it, the less risky it is. So those are the couple ways I see building being very safe, right? Building that simple palatable product to the masses and then just having a large margin.
1: Yeah, you could deal with pretty significant drop in market price until you start to look at potentially losing money as compared to just breaking even and hey, you know, oh, well, but yep. you live to yep. see another day in that case. Exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: okay, okay. I appreciate that. And you know, I'm glad that there are folks, uh, yourself and others out there, adding to the supply because that's what so many markets, my market and, and you know, the Denver area and all these others desperately need is new supply. And there's so much, I hate to say it, red tape out there preventing yeah. so much new development that I'm glad you're out there you know, pushing that forward. Right now, we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances you can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal Capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the Personal Capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Dan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: I've got to say it was the first house hack I bought here in Colorado, and it exemplifies a couple of points I want to drive home. Uh, It was a split level, a four-bed, three-bath, 1970s built house, and I house hacked it, and it sucked. I hated having roommates. (laughs) No, 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 I'm serious. I I hated having roommates. I get woken up all the time. I didn't like sharing things, but having it eliminated all of my living expense, and it paid for my food and my gas, Okay. This is in 2018. That is so substantial. And it allowed me to leave my job, get my active business going. And as much as I hated it, it doesn't matter because today, 25, and I have control over what I do and where I go. And it's because of those decisions. So delayed gratification is so important. And I think that that investment exemplifies it. That's one of my best rentals now. It's in a great area of town. It's worth almost half a million dollars and it cash flows 12 or 1300 bucks a month. Uh, so, yeah. So that I think is my best investment because it was so essential in allowing me to leave that last job and get the active business going and and just take the risk because my living expenses were covered.
1: Nice. I like that. I like that. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made?
0: The first duplex I bought, I still own it today and it's okay now, but I did everything wrong from the realtor to letting the tenant that was existing give me their security deposits the last month's rent to just everything about that. I I, I did wrong. I didn't run my numbers correctly because I, I don't have analysis paralysis. I would be the opposite end of the spectrum where I jump into things too quickly, which I think you'll hear over and over again from a lot of entrepreneurs. And that first buy was an example of that. I lost money on that for the first couple of years. I'm not sure how much it ended up being total. I'd have to Pull up old returns and spreadsheets. But point being, I lost money on that for the first couple of years and messed up the property manager, but it taught me a lot of lessons, didn't make me go bankrupt, and I'm better for it today. And now it does cash flow and it's slowly digging itself out of that hole. So, again, do a little bit more due diligence is, is what I would recommend in hindsight, especially with the property manager. You know, take those same recommendations for screening a general contractor. Apply them to the property manager. Apply them to your realtor, and never take security deposit as last month's rent from a tenant. Twenty-one year old me thought that was acceptable. Anyways, so I'm still glad I did it because I made these mistakes on a hundred and thirty-four thousand dollar duplex as opposed to you know a four hundred thousand dollar house out here, and I learned and moved forward. And so yeah, I lost money on that for a few years, but it doesn't really matter in hindsight.
1: Nice, and the the lesson that you learned is is so much more valuable. So you get to take that mm-hmm. forward. But yeah. my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I hate cliches, so I'll say your why, but to put it more specifically, things are gonna go wrong. When we talk on podcasts, it sometimes makes it sound like every day is very easy and it's not, it's not. <laughs> you're gonna get kicked in the teeth like we are talking about. You're gonna have <laughs> a ton of problems. You're gonna have issues with the government depending on what you're doing. Things are gonna go wrong. And the only way that you're going to continue to get up and deal with it is if you have a s- strong enough motivator to to deal with it. And and so you need to be really clear on why you're doing this. Because if you're not, you're just gonna you're gonna quit. You're gonna give up, and you're you're not gonna do what you need to do to build a business. You know, the only reason that I, I finally left my job in uh, a couple of years ago and started the active business was simply because I hated that job more than any I'd ever hated. So I was in a horrible place. It took strong emotional drivers to go out there and build something. So figure out why you're doing this and then pick one strategy that aligns with what you're trying to accomplish and don't veer from that until you're successful. That's the other mistake. It's easy to make shiny object syndrome. You can make millions of dollars with apartments, houses, land, whatever you want. Pick one, stick with it. Don't vary from it until you're successful.
1: I totally relate to that. It took me a very long time to learn the shiny object syndrome lesson and really focus on what I do. And once I did that, things started really gaining steam. And what do you know, the the focus helps. So I love all of those lessons. And Dan, thank you for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down?
0: Yeah, just Dan Habercost on social, Facebook or Instagram. And then I created just a, a website, danhabercost.com, which
1: goes through a lot of what I'm working on. Awesome, great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.